Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. You know, um, uh, there at the beginning of service, we, we were thanking God a little bit. And, and one of the interesting things, and Pastor Jordan's been ministering on thankfulness. Well, well really, he's been ministering on our mindset. And a part of our mindset is being thankful. When you're thankful, things just look better. Really, things just look better. And one of the things that's it's interesting, if you study thankful or thankfulness in the Bible, a lot of times it's just translated confession. See, because sometimes when we think about thankful, being thankful for something, we think about being thankful for something in the past that has happened. Or we, we think about something that we can be thankful for right now. But what about being thankful for the future? Sometimes we forget the future part. People think, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for. Well, won't you in the future? See, we, we, we understand, and this isn't in our notes, but let's go down this path a little bit. Is that okay? Well, you, you don't really have any say. So. Um, <laughs> you see, we know in Genesis um, chapter 1 that God created the heavens and the earth and everything by speaking. We also know that in Genesis chapter 1, around verses 27, 28, it said when God created man, he created in his image and his likeness. Or that actually means a model of God. Now, a model is a smaller replica. And if you've got a good model, then what happens is what the big one can do, the little one can do. God's a good model maker. So what happens is when we see how God did things with his word, that's a model for us to follow. So if God did it, then those are things that we should do. And that's why the Bible says, you know, in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat the fruit of it. So what I say either brings life or it brings death. And we call all of that what we say. It's our confession. Well, thankfulness is a confession. What I'm doing is I'm confessing success in my future. Father, I'm thankful for strength in my family. I'm thankful that my children marry the right person at the right time for the right reason. I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm speaking success into my future. So I'm not just thankful for what did happen. I'm not thankful for what is happening. I'm thankful for what will happen. And if you're young and you don't have children, you can pray over children now. I prayed for mine before I had kids about who they will marry. And it could be anything. It could be your health as you get older. It could be anything. But let's just not say thankfulness is the past and present. Thankfulness is also for the future. So I can be thankful for the future. Have you ever been in a situation and you're just like, this is awful? And it's just like, ugh. It always passes. It always passes. Doesn't matter what kind of pit you feel like you're in. It always passes. And that's people with no hope, bless their hearts. They don't realize that, and that's why some people take their lives. They don't see any way out of this, but it always passes. And and thankfulness will help us to realize, we'll get through this. We'll get through this. There's there's a brighter other side to this. And then what happens, thankfully, as we move forward with God, that that brightness gets brighter and things get better. Hopefully our marriages get better, our health gets better, our thinking gets better, all of that sort of thing, as we stick with God and do it His way. Amen. Well, thankfulness, again, is a confession for your future as well. 
Because you might be in a situation right now and you feel like, I don't have anything to be thankful for. Well, what about your future? Everything changes except God. Everything else changes. Amen? Well, praise be to God. We should probably get on our notes, shouldn't we? Yep, that's seven minutes off notes. Take note, everybody. Um, let's begin in Psalm 107.21, please. Psalm 107.21. We're going to continue with thankfulness. And um, our first passage, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Passion Translation. So if you look up on the screen, if you don't have the Passion with you. So lift your hands and give thanks to God for His marvelous kindness and for His miracles of mercy for those He loves. Who does God love? Everybody. That includes you. You can say me. You're not wrong. Me, everyone. Oh, no, it's, it, it's all of us. He loves us all. Me's included in that. It says we can lift our hands and thank God for his marvelous kindness. He's so kind. He's so kind. And then it says miracles of mercy. Sometimes people get mistaken about mercy. Mercy means, in essence, there's not immediate judgment. Remember in the Old Testament, you touched the Ark of the Covenant, you're dead. That doesn't happen today. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning, and because of mercy, things are pushed off, and we have opportunities to repent. Because in the Old Testament, have you, have you read the Old Testament? Kids making fun of a bald prophet, a bear comes out and eats him immediately. Now, all right, bald people, but that doesn't happen today. Hopefully that doesn't happen today because how many of us, if we'd have done something goofy, would have ended up in trouble? Yeah, but because of his mercy, and not just his mercy. Oh, I need my verse back up. Thank you so much. His miracles of mercy. Even though we've done knuckleheaded, well, I'll speak, even though I've done knuckleheaded things, no amening. My wife sits right here. She helps, and, and uh, um, I don't ask her to. She just helps. She's my helper. My little helper in the car, yeah. Because, you know, I, I had no idea what to do when the light turned green before I married her. But um, miracles of mercy. As a matter of fact, our kids the other day, who was it? Was it Chloe and Olivia or was Sam involved? They looked at us and they said, we're amazed you guys are still married. We're amazed you two are so married. You ever take one of those, are they called ideogram tests or what are they? They tell you what your personality is. You know, I'm like a really hard, strong number one. Follow the rules. Do it right. And she's like, what were you, a nine? Yeah, which is like the direct opposite of it. Ah, rules. Eh. Wouldn't hurt to try it once, would it? Yes! But God put us together because she completes me. <laughs> At least that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> Marvelous kindness and miracles of mercy. Miracles of mercy. He's so merciful for, to us. He is so merciful to us. And that's why we don't have to keep beating ourselves up when we make a mistake. Yeah. The, the word thankful in the Webster's 1828 dictionary is interesting. It, it reads... Impressed with a sense of kindness received and ready to acknowledge it. So I've got this sense of kindness. I've received this kindness and I'm acknowledging it. You see, when I'm not thankful, it means I'm unwilling to recognize the kindness God has shown me. That's what being unthankful is. I'm not willing to recognize the kindness that God has shown to me. 
So you can see God just kind of, really? You're not going to acknowledge all of the goodness, all of the kindness that I've shown towards you? You can probably relate to, to this a little bit if you have kids. You have kids? Am I going to get paid for this? For, for, for cleaning up your own mess? What do you mean? Well, don't I get paid for chores? Your, your, your chores are cleaning up after yourself. Why, why should I pay you for cleaning up after yourself? You, who, I, you made the mess. Do you know how much I do? 90% of the things I clean up are not my mess. Does anyone pay me to do that? A lack of thankfulness for kindness that has been shown. <laughs> All the parents, that's so right. All the kids are like, would he shut up? Where's that bear? <laughs> Refusing to acknowledge the kindness shown is what unthankfulness is. So as I'm thankful, what am I doing? I'm recognizing God's kindness toward me. That's why you say thank you, thank you to people when they do something. What are you doing? You're acknowledging you've done something kind to me. Thank you for doing it. Because you didn't have to. You know, nobody owns you, owes you kindness. Someone opens a door for you. Do you say thank you? Someone lets you go first. Do you say thank you? Someone does something for you they don't have to do. Do you say thankful? Do you th say thankful? Thank you to your spouse. Thankful. Thank you to your kids. Hey, thank you for doing that. That's a good job. Because sometimes we can become so familiar with the people around us, we don't recognize their kindness. And we can become so comfortable and common with God, we don't recognize His kindness. So that's where the lack of thankfulness comes from. It's, it's a familiarity with something or someone who's been so good to us. And one of the things that we have to guard against in the church, and we've talked about this topic for years, and, and last night I really didn't have a clue what I was going to minister on. I thought, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to preach on this. And my wife said, what are you going to minister on? I said, I'm going to do this. And then I woke up this morning and realized, no, that's not what I'm going to minister on. But what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the importance of being a thankful sheep. The importance of being a thankful sheep or a, a thankful member of a congregation. If you look, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 8. Ephesians 4, 8. It reads, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this is talking about Jesus, and this is talking about the gifts that Jesus gave to us. And, and many of you are familiar with it, but some of you have probably never heard this. Because really, I can't remember the last time we talked about the gift of the pastor, have we? I, it's been a while, I think, since we have. So verse 9, it says, well, actually, let's skip to verse 11. Can we do that, please? 9 and 10 talks about kind of what happened um, after Jesus died. But then verse 11, this is talking about the gifts that were given. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Now, these are called the fivefold ministry gifts. What do I mean by a gift? Well, God has put gifts in every person. Spiritual gifts, anointings to do something. Uh, the, the Bible calls it these precious gifts in earthen vessels. Um, Adam, of course, his body was made from the dirt of the earth. If, 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 if well, it's a graphic example, but if I were to die, and one day I will, and you were to throw me out in the field, guess what would happen in a couple years? You wouldn't find my body. Why? It would go back to what it came from, yes. the dirt. 
the dirt. So that's why it says it's precious gift in earthen vessels. People aren't perfect, but the gift that God puts in them is perfect. The problem is it has to be filtered through imperfect people. And, and that's why sometimes people, get, people can get kind of weird. Well, well, you're worshiping a man. Well, no, I recognize that the gift in that person is perfect. And I recognize that the person isn't perfect, but it's not about the person it's in. It's about the gift in that person. And that's where people kind of get off. And that, well, that's really where cults start. When I start looking at somebody, well, they can't do any wrong. Well, that's crazy. Well, let me not say crazy. I'm sorry. That's unscriptural put it that way. So we've got these gifts that were given to the body of Christ. Now, if Jesus, let's say Jesus showed up today and he just walked through that wall and he handed um, Hoss, Evan Stumler, right over there, Hoss is his nickname, and handed him a gift. Jesus handed him a gift. What would you say, Evan? Thank you. you. No, you wouldn't. You'd probably be crying. (laughs) Thank you. Slobber and snot, all that sort of stuff. How improper for my Savior. But Yeah, he'd say thank you. Why? It was an act of kindness shown. Would he? Now, now, when you got out to the parking lot, would you just toss it in the back of the car? No. When When you got home, would you just throw it in the corner and forget about it? No. What would you do? Keep it close to you. Would you? Would you maybe open it? Yeah, if you could beat Lisa to it, your wife. But yeah, you'd open it. Why? Hey, what is this? What's in this? I just got a gift from Jesus. What in the world's in this? I mean, are you kidding me? He came from heaven, walked through the wall, gave me a gift. I mean, delivered from heaven. We get excited when UPS shows up. (laughs) Oh, it's a gift. It's a gift. This is delivered from heaven to you, put in your hand, and you're just like, oh. No, what's in this thing? This is for me what's in this thing. And sometimes because we're not thankful, and we're going to focus on the the gift in the pastor today, sometimes because we're thankful we don't unwrap that gift and find out, well, what's in this? It's not about what's in Jordan. It's what's in Pastor Jordan. It's being able to separate the, the, the person from the gift in the person. Again, it's not worshiping a man. That is incredibly dangerous. But it's important for us to be thankful as sheep because, you know, when Jesus was in the earth, according to the book of John, it says he had the anointing without measure. He was the church. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He was all of these gifts wrapped into one person. But when he finished his job and got to heaven, they don't need those things in heaven. Yes, sir, you're right. Amen. People need to be pastored in the earth. So what the Bible says is he took these gifts and he gave them to men. Or really it says he assigned them to men, appointed them to men and women, by the way. So when your pastor gets up to minister, it's not just your pastor. It's a gift, a portion of which Jesus carried. Speaking to you through the word, speaking to you by the anointing. And by by the way, by the way, all of you got a part of Jesus' giftings. All of you did. Everybody isn't a pulpit minister, but everybody has some gifting. You get around some people and they're just good at hospitality. You know, the Bible talks about that in Romans. What is it? They just make you feel like you've always known them and you could just live at their house forever. 
and they, it's so decorated and it's so nice and the food's so good. Now, I don't suggest just living there, but they just got it. They just got it. Some people, they just got it when they sing. Some people just got it when they greet. Some people are just good at stuff. Some people are gifted to do certain things. And, and other people aren't. And, and we got to guard against being jealous because, you know, and I've used this example before. You know, if, if, if my microwave doesn't wash my dishes, I don't throw it in the yard. It's not made to do that. If my light switch doesn't fold my clothes, I don't get mad about it. My light switch isn't made to fold my clothes. Jenny is. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> just, just, just a side note, me and my wife enjoy life. We like having fun, we like joking. And there have been times that I've taken it too far and had to apologize. Yes. But, hey. Have fun in life. Sometimes people think about Christianity and they're like, oh my goodness, you can't do anything. Have fun. Sakes alive. You know, who, yeah, well, we'll just leave it at that. So it's not a matter of something being wrong because you can't do something someone else can do. You just weren't wired to do that. You just weren't wired to do it. Some people are just better at certain things. And it's important for us to understand that. So when Jesus left the earth and he put these gifts in these different people, you know, an apostle, if you're not familiar, apostle is an individual who is anointed by God. They have this gift to go out and start churches in areas where there aren't a lot of Christian works. And it's amazing because supernaturally people will be drawn to them to help them do that. And then you have the evangelist. An evangelist walks in signs, wonders, and miracles. It's not just someone who sings good. And it's not just someone who gets people saved. All of us are called to help get people saved. But it's an individual who is gifted by God and God will use to perform miracles. And then people will see, oh my goodness, that's not natural. And it helps them to get born again. And, and you have the prophet. I'm sorry, I got, I got it back. It's a past, a, apostle prophet. Evangelist. A prophet is an individual that God will speak to sometimes and talk to them about what's going on in the church and where's the church going. What's going on spiritually? What can you, what can you see coming in the future? You know, apostles are known for their love walk. Very loving people. Uh, a prophet is different. If, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 1, it talks about the prophet, and it has this list of six things that kind of a prophet does. You know, four of them are like to root out and to pull down and to do all this stuff. And the last two are, oh, and to build and plant. But you've got to go through the first four first, get, get gunk out of people's lives, because a lot of times there's a lot of gunk in our lives. Dr. Dr. Ed Dufresne, who um, would come here and minister, he's Dr. Jacobs, the founding pastor's uh, spiritual father or mentor. He'd always say, I'm a stump puller. I'll come in and I'll minister and I'll help people to think right and get rid of things in their lives so then they can get back on the right track. Because the world is constantly bombarding us with wrong stuff and wrong thinking. And if we don't guard ourselves against that, we can fall into the, into the wrong lane of thinking wrong about things. And a lot of those, and hey, uprooting stuff isn't always fun and it's not always comfortable. Any, anybody ever try to uproot a plant or a tree and the roots are really, well, it takes a smidge and it's a little bit of work. But it's so much better when it's all done. Yes. 
And that's what a prophet does. Uh, a, a pastor, of course, well, we'll come back to the pastor, a teacher. A teacher just stands up and teaches. They, they take the word of God and they present it in a way that's simple to understand. Yes. But the thing is, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, and teacher, when they're done doing their part, they leave. The pastor is there with you. They're going to marry you, not marry you personally, but they're going to perform the ceremony. They're going to bury you. Um, they're going to help you if maybe you're not on the right track. If there's some corrective guidance, it might be offered. See, those other other individuals, their job's to come and do their part, and eventually they leave. I mean, an apostle, they start the church, but they can't pastor the church. That's not what they're called to do. A prophet doesn't pastor a church. They come, prophets can't pastor a church anyway. They, they tear it up because of that gift. It's not made to shepherd. It's made to, to do, well, to root out. I mean, imagine going to the dentist, and every time when you went to a dentist, you had a root canal. After a while, you're like, is there another dentist in this city? I mean, seriously, I've run out of teeth. What are we doing next? And evangelists, again, they perform miracles, they get people saved, but all of these different ministry gifts, you have to have a pastor connected to them because you need people after they get born again, after they get healed, after they get delivered, after the church gets started, you need someone there to stay with the people to help train them in what to do, and that's what a pastor does. And because a pastor is with the people all the time, it's so much easier for people to become familiar with the pastor and not be thankful for the gift in the pastor. Because the more you're around someone, the more you see their weaknesses and the more you see their imperfections and the more you see the mistakes in that person. And yet, Now, is there anything wrong with recognizing that? No. Because if you start thinking they're perfect, you're going to get in trouble. That's, that's how cults start. You follow me? Well, they're perfect. They can't do anything wrong. Well, that's, that's when people start telling people to do unscriptural things. And they get themselves into trouble. And I'm not talking about judging people. Well, golly sakes. There's a difference. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. Correct? The Bible also says, you who spiritual judgeth all things. What do you do with that? Judge not lest you be judged. He who spiritual judges all things. So what are you going to do? I'm, well, um, I'm not going to judge, but then I guess I'll never be spiritual. Or I'm going to be spiritual and then I don't have to do what the Bible says. Well, you have to dig around a little bit. That judge not lest you be judged. It means you don't run around judging people and then telling everybody else what you think about it. He who spiritual judges all things. That means to sift like flour. That's for your learning and your personal understanding. It's not the spread. That's the difference between those two things. So the fact that I recognize an imperfection in a person doesn't mean I go telling everybody else about it. It just means, okay, I recognize that. And that's something that I can learn from. Or as a staff member, it's a little different thing. Um, you know, as we work together as staff, you know, um, we're not all perfect. Well, let me rephrase that. None of us are perfect. So what do we have to do? We have to learn how to better work with one another. And that includes understanding. You ever work with somebody that's never on time? What if you were involved in a project and you scheduled it as if they're going to be on time? What would happen to everything after that? It would fall apart. So what do you have to do? You have to know who you're dealing with. Amen. 
And when it comes to the pastor, what do you do? You recognize the perfection of the gift in the individual. No, the person's not going to be perfect. They're not going to say things right all the time. But the pastor is the one that ministers. And because, again, we see those imperfections, sometimes we can lightly esteem that gift and not be thankful for it. Oh, I'm so thankful for that evangelist I see on TV all the time. Do you live with them? You know, Morgan, that was a very nice introduction you gave me, but she lives with me. <laughs> yeah, you don't live with us, all right? It's not what she says at home. We've got, we've got, this, we've got this, this joke, running joke, kind of. You know, if I want to do something and I can tell she's not on board with it, like going out to eat or let's do this or let's do that. When you're married long enough and you say something, you can tell your spouse isn't on board with it. You just know. You know, they may say, whatever you want to do, honey, you don't mean that. You don't mean that. I can tell. So I want to do something or go out to eat or whatever, and, and she'll just kind of give one of those, you know, all right, and verbally she's saying the right thing, but non-verbally I know that's not true. And... Um, so I'll look at her, I've, got, I've just looked at her and said, honor me! <laughs> Which um, doesn't work. <laughs> but if we don't guard ourselves, we can become familiar with our spouses too. And our children. You know. But we can do that with our pastor, and, and when we become familiar with our pastor, we're not thankful for that. And you may be thinking, well, why in the world do I need to be thankful for the pastor? Well, there are a number of reasons why. There are a number of reasons why. Number one, we see that the pastor or the gift in the pastor is a gift from God. Excuse me. But Matthew chapter 6 or chapter 9 verse 36 says that when Jesus looked over the people, and it's on the screen, it says when Jesus looked over the people, what happened is he had great compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The majority of the time that the Bible refers to the pastor in the New Testament calls him shepherd. Because when I say shepherd, everybody has all kinds of ideas about what they think a shepherd is, or, or pastor, excuse me, when I say pastor. People have all kinds of ideas about what a pastor is because of the way they were raised, because of religion, because of what somebody else said they were. But probably a better word to describe what a pastor is, a pastor is a shepherd. A pastor tends the sheep, a pastor protects the sheep, a pastor feeds the sheep, a pastor says he leads them beside still waters. It says a pastor, you know, lead, guide, protect is more or less what we see. Lead, guide, and protect. That's what a pastor does. And in this particular passage, Jesus himself said, listen, these people are scattered because they have no pastor. What does scattered mean? Well, it, have, you ever, I, have you ever played that old game called Statue? And what it was, well, we did in the knobs and, you know, we were, we were hicks. So maybe you guys are more cultured than us. What you do is you get people and you grab a hand and you spin them around and then you let them go and then they got to freeze. And then the person who doesn't freeze is out and you do it until you see who's the winner. Well, this word for scattered abroad means something similar. It means what happens is you've got an individual living their life, and what happens is they're trying to get up and have some success, and they get knocked back down. Well, it's kind of like King of the Mountain, more so than statue. And they try to get up, and they get knocked back down. That's kind of what scattered abroad means. They get knocked back down and knocked back. And every time they get knocked back down, everything that they had scatters from them. Right. And it scatters from them, and it scatters from them. 
But you see, when you have a pastor who teaches you what the Word says, when you get back up and those attacks come, you don't, get keep, you don't keep getting knocked back down. You learn how to take that. So what happens? All that stuff that you learned and you received and you found out about what the Bible says is yours, every time you take a hit, you don't lose it all. It doesn't scatter off or fall. It's almost like if we put post-it notes on you and we shoved you. Well, after a while, the longer you're under a pastor, those stick better. So that's what scattered abroad means, is that. And we look at Jeremiah 3.15. Jeremiah 3.15 gives us another reason why it's important for us to have a pastor. If you look at it, it says, And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now notice that. I will give you pastors which will feed you, or well, first off, according to my heart. That's something, just, just because I go to a church doesn't mean I'm being pastored. Sometimes there are churches that are led by people who actually don't have the gift of the pastor in them. They're just good at talking. They're well organized. And they're good at gathering people to themselves. But it doesn't mean they're a pastor. Well, what happens? Well, then people in those churches will never enjoy the benefits of being pastored. Now, they can enjoy the benefits of the word. Whenever you apply the word to your life, it works. But there are some things that will be missing because there are some things that you can't get without a pastor because that's the way God set it up to work. So when you have a pastor, when you have a pastor, you're fed with knowledge and understanding. And it's interesting in verse 14, it says these people are backsliding. And in verse 16, it says they're fruitful and multiplying. Well, what happened from verse 14 to verse 16? Verse 15, they got a pastor. They went from backsliding to multiplying and increase. Why? They had a pastor. And listen, coming to a church doesn't mean you're pastored. Sitting under a real pastor doesn't mean you're pastored. Sitting under the pastor that you're even, God has set aside for you specifically doesn't mean you're pastored. I have to make the decision to be pastored. The Bible says that a pastor leads me beside the still waters. See, if I have Brother Jerry, come here, Brother Jerry. Can I use you, please? What would I have done if he said no? I'd have had Lois make him. <laughs> so let's say, let's say he's a pastor and I'm a sheep in the church. All right? Brother Drew, go ahead. Walk down that way and lead me. Am I being shepherded? No. I ain't moving. See, I can be in a church with a real pastor. And actually, if you notice, that passage said, I'll give you shepherds according to my heart. This is God talking. I'll give you pastors according to my will, that it actually reads. God's ordained. Pastor Jerry has something in that pastoral gift that I specifically need to be full of knowledge and understanding. He's got that in him as my pastor, and I need to receive that. But if I refuse to follow him, what's that mean? That means as I come to church and I'm taught what the Word of God says, I let the Holy Ghost help me do it. Like being thankful. How many of you have worked on being thankful? Yeah. Well, if I haven't worked on being thankful, what's happening? Well, I'm not allowing myself to be pastored or shepherded in that area of my life. Thank you, Brother Jerry. Amen. Amen. Every time I come to church, I get something that helps me. Every time. Romans 1 tells us. When we come together, there are impartations that help me be established. Thessalonians tells me, Paul prayed, day and night I might see your face to perfect what's lacking in your faith. 
Every time I come to church, I get something I need. I might not even know I get it, but I get it. And every time I miss, I miss an opportunity to move forward in the things of God. And my goodness, what a mistake. I'm missing out. You know, you have people that, they, 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 Father, I want wisdom, I want understanding, I want increase in my life. One of the ways he brings increase into your life is he gives you a pastor. People are praying about something they already have. A tool, a gift to help me increase and grow in my understanding and grow in my knowledge. Amen? And we look here in Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28 also talks about the pastor. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, talking to the pastor, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer. So again, we see the Holy Ghost is involved in giving you the right pastor. God's plan isn't for me to pick a church based on if they have a gymnasium. Or the coolest tech. Nothing wrong with, listen, nothing wrong with having any of that. There really is, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's a matter of me growing in the things of God. And according to Romans chapter 8, it says the sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. I believe that's verse 14. So as I grow in the things of God, I can actually know what the plan of God is for my life. And that includes where I go to church. Because Ephesians 5 tells me, pray that you may know what the will of the Lord is. Some people say you can't know the will of the Lord. Well, then why would Paul tell us that? And in that same passage right there, I think maybe it's verse 14, and I could have the verses mixed up, but it says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. In, in essence, Paul's saying, don't waste your time. So why would Paul tell me, don't waste my time, and then tell me, pray to know what the will of the Lord is, if I can never know what the will of the Lord is? He just said, don't waste your time, but do this to waste your time. That makes no sense. You follow me? Don't touch that stove, touch that stove. Well, you just told me to do something you just told me not to do. Well, that brings confusion, and we know that we're not supposed to be double-minded because it says a person who's double-minded won't prosper in any of their ways. So we look up here and what it says, the Holy Ghost has made you overseer to feed the, feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's a pretty high price, purchased with his own blood. Even in the book of Peter, it tells the pastor, it says, feed the flock of God, which is among you. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Sometimes people think, well, the pastor needs to do everything for everybody. Well, that's not necessarily his instruction. It said, first, feed the flock of God which is among you. During the holidays, a lot of times, and I enjoy the holidays. I like Christmas. I realize some people don't. But the Christmas, of course, is a time to be thankful for what Jesus did. That's the whole thing. It's, it's Christmas. It's an anointed mass. It's a celebration of the anointing. It's a celebration of what Jesus did. It's a celebration of what he came to do. But I like Christmas trees, too. And I like eggnog, and I like gingerbread houses, and I like Christmas songs, and I like all, and there's nothing wrong with liking that stuff. You know, you know I, when I started here, um, I was a children's minister, and kids would always ask, was it okay to get gifts? Well, yeah, it is. God was the first gift giver. He gave Jesus on Christmas. And then Jesus gave gifts to men, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and the ministry of helps, which if you're not in one of the pulpit ministries, you're in the ministry of helps, or you're gifted to do that. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas. There's nothing wrong with eating gingerbread houses, which we have out in the, you know. Yeah, there's something wrong with it, but we're going to give you some. No, that's, yeah, that would be, well, that would be wrong. So what we see here, again, is we see an example of God giving us this gift that helps us grow up, helps us mature, 
helps us walk in our best life. Jeremiah 23, and we're not going to turn there, verses 3 and 4. It says, you know, we won't be fearful when we have a pastor. Uh, fear is a big thing today. Oh, my goodness, because a fearful people or is an easily manipulated people. Um, it, it says we won't be dismayed. We won't be confused. We won't be lacking when we have a pastor. But it doesn't necessarily happen immediately. It happens as we follow what the pastor tells us to do. Uh, again, this goes back to being thankful for what God's given us. One of the things God's given us is the gift of the pastor. Without a pastor, we'd all be a mess. Because Jesus said, you're going to be scattered. You don't have pastor. Those other ministry gifts are wonderful. They cannot pastor you because they're not made to do it. Now, there can be unique situations where maybe an apostle starts a church and they pastor that church for a while until someone's brought up to pastor, but then they got to go because that's their calling. They have to go and do that kind of thing. Amen. Getting into kind of some different things here. So let's do this. Let's, 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 let's look at um, Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter three. And we're going to finish up with this. And, um, I guess you could call this, this, um, this section, Don't Be an Eve. Yes, sir. Don't be an Eve. Not being sexist. Don't be an Adam either. But don't be an Eve. Uh, the title, I think I gave you the title, Being a Thankful Sheep. But looking at Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 1. You know, in Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy 4 maybe, verse 1. It says in the end times that there's going to be trouble. And it says there's going to be a lot of deception and deceiving, well, seducing spirits or deceiving spirits is what it actually means. You know, there's a lot of things right now that's going on that's very deceptive. Sounds good, looks good, emotionally it might feel good, but it's wrong. And it's just a front for what's actually going on in the background. So as Christians, it's important to us. And one of the things, that pastor, again, it says pastor will bring you up in knowledge and understanding. You'll not just know stuff, but you'll understand what's really going on what's really going on. It's not a coincidence that in Genesis chapter 2, we see the creation of the family unit. And the very next thing that's recorded in Scripture in chapter 3 is an attack on the family. Very first recording we have of Satan popping up is here, attacking the family. Well, he attacked Adam's authority, but he also attacked that family unit. All this stuff about you don't know your gender, all this stuff about love is love, all of it, all of it, all of it is an attack on the family. Amen. Because God hates the family. Not God, excuse me, the devil. <laughs> Can we edit that? <laughs> Pastor Jordan, if you're watching, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. So glad it's not live stream. Somebody click it, put it on YouTube. Cult church, cult church. <sighs> Again, I'm not perfect. And that was an imperfect statement. God loves families. The devil hates families. Because God refers, God's referred to as a loving heavenly father. Well, if you don't have a, a loving earthly father, it's hard to relate to that. Now, that's not to say that if you come from a, fo- a family that doesn't have a husband, wife, children, that you can't succeed. God knew you'd be in that situation. And he didn't leave you ill-prepared for it. You got what it takes to help see this through to success. And the Holy Ghost is with you to help you see this through. So never say, I can't, because you got a helper. The great thing about a helper is you have to be involved, but you don't have to do as much as he does. You know, if I ask Brother Amsey, come up here, pick up this pulpit and move it, he picks it up, moves it, and I do this. Am I involved? 
Yeah, well, yes, I am. Who said no? I'm involved. I'm involved. I put my pinky here, but Amsie lugs the thing over. I'm involved. So when it comes to the Holy Ghost, he's helping me. Never said I have to carry the same load he carries. Just said I need to be involved. Because I can't do what he can do. And God will oftentimes ask you to do things you can't do. He's just asking you, put your pinky on it. Just get involved. I'll move that. I'll change that. I'll fix that. Just be involved. And when it comes to my children and when it comes to my marriage and when it comes to my life and my finances and my body, all I got to do is be involved. I can't change that stuff that God can or angels can or whatever. All I got to do is be involved. And it might be a simple, Father, I thank you for fixing this situation. I know you're involved and on the job. You mean it's that easy? Yes. If you believe it is. He has to have your agreement and he has to have you do something. That's the difference between being a helper and being a doer. He's our helper. Amen. But look in here, Genesis. Oh, I need to scoot along. Genesis chapter 1. Now the serpent, which refers to the devil, was more subtle than any beast of the field. Again, he's very subtle. Like I just said, all this stuff is an attack on the family. All of it. All of it. And people are accepting it as fine. Doesn't mean you hate people, just means you recognize, well, that's not quite scriptural. Which the Lord God had made. And he said unto E, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he starts off with a lie. Did God say you can't have nothing? And then verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. This is wrong. Now, not all of it, but part of it. Here's part of the problem. God didn't tell them they couldn't touch it. He said, don't eat from it. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. You see, when God gave Adam instruction, Eve wasn't around yet. He said, guard it and tend it. Tend it. How do you tend a plant you can't touch? You actually look that up and it means there's almost kind of a pruning maybe that Adam was involved in with that. So Adam's job was to actually touch the tree. Part of it was involved in that. But Adam said, or Eve said we can't even touch it. You see, this is a problem with the game of telephone. You ever play telephone? You line up five people, you tell somebody something here at the beginning, then at the end the person says, what it started as, and it's almost always wrong because someone misinterpreted what was said or they misrepresented what took place. See, God gave this instruction to Adam, and Adam either misrepresented to Eve what he was told or she misunderstood what he was told because she said you can't even touch it. Well, that's not what Adam was told. But here's another problem. If Adam would have been doing his job of pruning the tree, wouldn't she have seen it and known we can touch it? See, the whole problem in this whole situation, Adam didn't do his job. Because it says as the serpent deceived her and gave her the apple to eat, he was right there with her. And God told him, you need to guard this garden. Well, if I'm going to tell you to guard something, that means something's coming. And Adam didn't do that. He didn't prepare for what was taking place. And he stood there and let it happen. 
but, but that's not our focus. So we see here, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. You could touch it. But again, she was going off of misinformation. Misinformation. Continue on, verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, you won't die. There you go, he got in. He got in. Did he say you can't eat anything? No, we just can't eat that thing. We can't even touch it. Ah, oh, that's not right. Ah, you won't die. And she believed it. And then it goes on in verse 5. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened. Now, it's interesting. When Satan attacks, he attacks either through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. Those are three categories that he'll attack through. Now, he said, um, your eyes shall be opened and you will know, um, be as gods, knowing good and evil. And then we continue on verse 6. And when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant, good for food, the lust of the flesh, and satisfy my flesh, and pleasant to the eyes, and desired to make one wise, there's the pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat it and gave also to her husband with her. So Adam was right there when this was going on. And he did eat. In verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves an apron. They were covered by the glory of God early on. But they blew it. So what did they do? Well, they tried to fix it themselves. Oftentimes when we make a mistake, we try to fix it ourselves instead of going to the Father and saying, Father, I messed up, help me. But see, the thing that's interesting here, Eve threw away paradise because of something she didn't think she had. She threw away everything for something, for, well, she threw away everything for a lie. And a lot of times we're unthankful because the devil's telling us, well, you're missing this one thing. And we focus on the thing we don't have, and we forget everything we do. She forgot all about paradise. She was just in about this one thing that a liar told her she didn't have. And we've got to guard ourselves because sometimes we can become unthankful because we focus on what we don't think we have instead of being thankful for what we do have. Because when I'm thankful for what I do have, I will acquire those things I don't. But you see, Eve is a perfect example of not being thankful. She's a perfect example. Well, don't you want this? She had everything. She just couldn't eat off that tree. And the motivation to get her to eat off that tree was, well, you'll be like God. She already was. She already had. It's like people that get in a marriage and they get mad and they leave their marriage and they think, well, I'm going to go find something better. And guess what? They don't find something better. Why? Because wherever you go, you're there. Yeah, true. <laughs> wherever you go, you're there. You know, I take my problems everywhere I go. Why? Because I'm there. So this is a situation where she had everything and threw it away for one thing she didn't think she had, but she really had it. And as Christians, sometimes we're not thankful because we keep focus on the thing we don't think we have instead of being thankful for everything we do have. Or everything God's going to do for us in the future. See, and that's the thing when it comes to the gift of the pastor, we need to understand. Because people will think, well, I need more of this in my spiritual life. You know, when I'm, in charge of my, when I'm in charge of my diet, I eat garbage because it tastes wonderful. 
Snickers has, oh, you, you, know, you know, people are like, you, you, need, you need to eat a, a apples and oranges and things like that. Apples and oranges and things like that, they go bad. You know what never goes bad? Doritos. Doritos never go bad. But if all I do is I have a diet of junk food, eventually it's going to wear me down. And spiritually speaking, you know, a pastor's gifted to give us a balanced spiritual diet from the Word of God, and it helps us perform properly. So what happens? Well, God will start speaking to people. Well, you need more spiritual this. Or they're talking too much about that. Or what happens? Well, it's a lack of thankfulness for the gift in the pastor God gave them. And it's the same trick Satan used on on Eve. Uh, You're missing out. And you throw away so much for so little. It's what, it's what Brother Hagin used to call substituting brass for gold. Throw away so much for so little because you got focused on the thing you didn't think. Because, listen, just because you do, do something doesn't mean you get to keep what you had. When, you know, when you make mistakes, sometimes you don't get to keep what you have. You, you remember, was it Esau and Jacob? And he passed over his birthright for a bowl of beans. And it said he bitterly cried in Hebrews to try to get it back, and it didn't work. He lost it. So see, some people can throw away so much for so little. Why? Because they believe a lie. But when I sit in a church under a real pastor, and Pastor Jordan, boy, he's a real pastor. He's not a perfect man because he's a man. But the gift in him is perfect. When I sit under a pastor... I'll be fed with knowledge and understanding. That understanding will help me not just to know, but it'll help me to see, ah, this is really what's going on here. I I see that. I see that. Amen. Amen. So what would I encourage you to do? Be thankful for what God's given you in your life. And one of those things is a pastor. And if I'm thankful for it, I'll show up. I'll be involved. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.